Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. An entertaining game with an unusual ending and some controversy, too. We look back at a big-time Bucks victory and yet another crazy NFL weekend. Welcome to the Rick and Tom podcast, everybody. Tom Jones, Rick Straw, Tampa Bay Times, coming to you from Raymond James Stadium, where we just watched a big game a little while ago. Thanks for listening. Hope you had a great weekend and hope you are subscribing to the podcast. And Rick Stroud, what a crazy football game. The Tampa Bay Bucks beat the New York Giants 25-23. Both Dirk Cutter and I said after the game, never a doubt. Never a doubt. <laughs> Good guys won again. I had never had a doubt that the Bucks were winning this game. That's true. You told me. You, go, you kept saying, they're going to win, they're going to win. And I, I just, you know, didn't see it. I mean, there were so many ways they tried to lose this game after, you know, having a 13 to nothing lead. I mean, it started out uh, great, you know, for the Bucks in, in terms of, um, you know, just dominating field position, um, being great on defense, getting some early scores. And then Nick Folk decided just to go all Roberto Aguayo on them and miss two field goals and an extra point. And, you know, they had another touchdown called back when Mike Evans was rolled down inside the one-yard line. They failed to score there. So there's a potential of 12 points. This game went back and forth. Um, you know, Eli Manning did his thing. Uh, you know, the, the Bucks did come back and take the lead. Eli took it right back. And and I wasn't as confident as you were that they were, uh, you know, going to get the ball, you know, down in there in scoring range, much less that Nick Folk would actually make the field goal, which he did by about the, the width of a of uh, a playbook of Dirk Cutters. So, uh, but a big win. And, and Tom, imagine had this not come out the way it did if you're a Bucks fan and you're looking at playing what is now a very upset New England Patriots team that just <laughs> lost – at Carolina. Yeah, I was stunned by that outcome of that game. The Carolina uh, Panthers go up there and win 33-30 to 30 in New England. And you're right, Rick. This went from a moment there where it looked like, man, it could be 1-3 to I could totally see them being 3-1 and one at this point. I really think they have a chance against New England. We'll talk more about that. But, Rick, let's get back to – and we'll review a lot of the segments of today's game. But let's go back to the final moments – the Giants, as you mentioned, Eli Manning goes down. They score a touchdown late and go for two. Now, this is this is not insignificant. They have no. a one-point lead at this point, the Giants do. They go for two, and they actually connect. But Odell Beckham Jr. is caught walking out of the back of the end zone before coming back in, doesn't reestablish himself. And so the two-point conversion is not successful, and it's a one-point game. So a field goal wins it. Now, the Bucks get the ball. They drive down the field. Big connection to Cameron Brait. Puts the ball first and 10 at the 13-yard line with still a significant amount of time left on the clock. I'm thinking there's still like, what, 40-some seconds left in the game at this point. Plenty of time to score a touchdown. They have timeouts left. They have every chance to go in and score a touchdown. And what does Dirk Cutter call for? A kneel down and then another kneel down and turns the game over, Rick, to a field goal kicker who has missed a 46-yarder earlier in the game, missed a 49-yarder earlier in the game, 
and missed an extra point. And I'm sure, Rick, that everybody in the entire building and everybody watching on TV was thinking, what in the world is Dirk Cutter doing? Was there ever a question in your mind of, Dirk, you realize your kicker's messing up all day? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody had that feeling. I mean, I, I think, you know, maybe he was one of the few people in the building that had confidence that, that Folk could make it. Talk about the decision after uh, Jameis, you guys go down there and get in into field goal range to, to, you know, after the day Nick had to, to put it right there on him. Oh, Nick's a, Nick's a pro kicker. He's going to make that kick every time. Look, it was 34 yards, um, and, and actually they had gone backward from there. It was closer. Um, but a couple things. I mean, you know, there, there was more to the decision than just putting a ton of confidence in Folk. I mean, for starters, the Giants still had two timeouts, and they didn't want to leave any time uh, for Eli Manning to get in field goal range. Uh, and their kicker had missed one as well. But I think that, you know, Dirk said that he played the percentages, and a lot of times that's what coaches do, and a lot of times they lose doing it. But it did look kind of awkward after Jameis Winston goes five for five for 55 yards and, and gets them down there. And you figure, well, at minimum, they can hand the ball off, and, and Jacquez Rogers is a pretty sure-handed running back. Maybe they pop one through there because they got to play the run, and they score a touchdown. Or, in worst-case scenario, you make it what used to be an old extra point, you know, from, from 20-something yards. So there were a lot of options, and, and Dirk chose to, to more or less just run out the clock with four seconds left, calls timeout. And gets the Giants' times out as well, and then sends Folk out there. And you talk to Folk, uh, Tom. I mean, I know this guy's been in the league a long time. I don't buy the fact that you know nothing to it. You know, business as usual, <laughs> as he said. You know, I, I think he had hid the trust in it, so I don't think it was ever any question. Um, you know, he was. Uh, that was the play to do at the end of the game, I think. Because tonight. He'd have been looking for a new job if he had missed that, that field goal. I mean, truly, he would not have been kicking here on Thursday. I agree with you. And I'm talking to him after the game, and he, he really acted like he just got done playing Madden. It was <laughs> like it meant nothing to him. You know, we're just, you know, like you realize you're in a real football game, right, Nick? And he was totally business usual. But he also said this is the worst that he had ever felt after a game-winning kick. And it's because you're right, Rick. I think he was dangerously close to not having a job come Tuesday. You and I were talking about what are you doing on Tuesday? You want to come out to one buck and maybe kick some field sure. goals. And uh, and yet the confidence that Dirk Cutter showed him, look, there's two ways to look at this. And I sort of threw out this to you just for fun after the game. And I said, the cynic in me was saying that he didn't trust Jameis Winston enough not to turn the ball over with <laughs> uh, 40 seconds left at the 13-year line. But really, I think what it came down to, Rick, is Dirk Cutter looked and said, this is a this is an NFL professional kicker. It's a 35, 34 yarder. He should be able to make it. And I really do believe that Dirk thought it was it had less to do with Jameis and more to do with I think the guy's going to make the kick. Yeah, and I think that and one of Dirk's strengths, um, rightly or wrongly, has, has been that he believes in his guys. I mean, if you're on the football team, and even if you're not a starter, you know we we asked him. You know, this week they started this game without Quan Alexander, finished it too, without Levante David. And yet, you know, you had a rookie Mike linebacker calling the defenses and another guy in Devontae Bond who had played about seven snaps his career. Um, it, it doesn't seem to matter. Dirk, Dirk Cutter uh, does show confidence in his players. I think that's a strength of his. And it is true that, you know, you made the decision to keep Folk and I thought you raised a good point. We were talking before the podcast about, if you remember Hard Knocks, 
um, and they were making the decision to cut Roberto Aguayo, which was a big episode uh, during that time. And, you know, what Jason Light and Dirk discussed was that, you know, I just feel like, you know, if, if Aguayo misses, he's going to keep missing. But if Folk misses, you feel like he's going to make the next one. And, in fact, that's how it played out. So I think Dirk, you know, sort of made this decision uh, in, in training camp, if you want to be honest about it. Well, and I think a guy like Nick Folk as well, uh, I think, A, this is going to give him a lot of confidence going forward that his head coach trusts him even after a really rough, what he called a rough day at the office. But I think the other thing, too, and I think you just hit on it, Rick, is he has enough confidence in Nick Folk as opposed to Roberto Aguayo, who's never, who had never been in this position before. I think every time Roberto Aguayo went out there, there was a feeling of, am I going to make this or not? I think there was this sense of almost dread before he even lined up to kick it. I don't think even Nick Falk, even after he missed the two field goals on Sunday and missed the extra point, that he ever had a doubt in his mind. Because I even asked him after the game, when you lined up, I'm like, he said, truly, it was business as usual. I've missed a couple. I've made a couple. I've, I've done this my entire career. I know what I'm doing. And yeah. I really thought, I really believed he believed he was going to make it. So there was never a doubt in his mind either. Yeah, those guys are really process-oriented. I mean, they, they kind of have to have a short memory. They do miss some, and he's done it for a long time. So he relied on that experience. I think that is the difference between someone like Kim and Aguayo who doesn't have anything to, 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 you know, to, to back himself up. I mean, I'm sure that Folk remembers missing kicks and then making game winners at some point in his career. This is his 11th season. It's probably happened down the road. Uh, and this was not – look, it's 34 yards, right? And it's not a long field goal, um, but yet he had missed from that distance. I thought that, uh, you know, there were some interesting things really about that drive and about the finish of that game, starting with Winston. I mean, he was terrific uh, going five for five. But the play – and talking to Cameron Braid after the game, the play that they hit Braid on, which was a, a just when you see it, is a beautifully thrown ball, but it's a tough over-the-shoulder catch. And Brait gets a a release, you know, on uh, Landon Collins, uh, you know, outside release from from the safety. And earlier in the game, they had run a slant on fourth and one in the fourth quarter, their first possession. And they were at about the 35-yard line. And Collins had jumped inside and had inside leverage and took away Brait's ability to get inside. And so, you know, they had... They had this play in the playbook. They had never run it before. He's, and Dirk Cutter said they were. Well, really have never practiced. <laughs> <laughs> we practiced parts of it. We just haven't practiced that part. But OJ, I mean, excuse me, uh, uh, Jameis and Cam have practiced that part. So how that particular one fit in the concept, uh, those guys have practiced it. And they told me it was game ready, so we better rip. But, you know, to trust those guys to execute this, knowing, you know, what they were going to get and what Collins was going to try to do, on third and one, you know, it was a run down. I mean, you could have easily run the ball there, try to get first down and sustain the drive. They went for a big play, and they hit it. And I, I think that that says a lot about about Winston and about what a clutch player Brait had, has been. You know, I, I think both of us have been fairly critical of Jameis Winston in the past, Rick, and we had a big package in Sunday's Tampa Bay Times about franchise quarterback and what does it mean to be a franchise quarterback and is Jameis Winston a franchise quarterback and I think we both agree he's not quite there yet in just year three is you know three games into into year three that he hasn't had enough moments he hasn't done enough you got to get to the playoffs there there are a lot of things you have to do in order to be a franchise quarterback and he hasn't done all of those things quite yet but Rick I thought he took a big step Sunday and I think you feel the same way in that 
there were some issues. There are still some issues. He's not perfect. There are still some things he has to correct. Now, give him credit. He didn't turn the ball over at all on Sunday. But uh, but I look back at Sunday's game, and he went up against, for two things, a really good quarterback on the other. I don't care how bad Eli Manning's been this year. That guy's a Hall of Fame quarterback. And he played pretty well on Sunday. And here's the other thing. He went up against the Giants defense. That's pretty decent. Like, this wasn't a bad defense that they played on Sunday. They played a pretty good defense. He went down with trailing in the fourth quarter. He put together two drives that gave the Bucks the lead. Not just one, not just the last drive, but the drive before that, he he took the, the Bucks down. Drive started at their own 43-yard line. Bang, bang, bang. Couple of big plays right down the field. And then hit Cam Brate for the touchdown. Giants get the ball back, go down and score. And the Bucks get the ball. So he was... He was, whatever you can do, I can do better with Eli Manning. And I think it's moments like these. And you talked about this, Rick, in your story, I, I believe, for the Tampa Bay Times, that these are the moments that make guys big-time quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, your NFL quarterback, a lot of games do come down to the last possession. And, you know, the longer you're in the league, right, the, you always see the stat about fourth-quarter comebacks. Well, Jameis has played. 35 games now, right? And he has four of these. This was his fourth fourth quarter comeback. He has seven wins on the final possession. So, um, you know, that's showing that, you know, when the chips are down, he can deliver. And if you talk to the guys that are in the huddle, they say, you know, he's always he's always in control. He, he's inspirational. He gets them fired up. Um, but, it, you know, talking to DeMar Dodson, said, you know, we just feel like if we block for him, if we give him time, there's enough weapons outside that he'll 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 make the right decisions and you know he's got Mike Evans he's got um, you know Cam Braid and Adam Humphreys and Deshaun Jackson who he still really hasn't got any chemistry with just yet but um, they they really do believe in this guy and yet man considering the way he played in Minnesota which was not good and Dirk Cutter made a big deal about the three turnovers and the fact that you know he misses uh, Deshaun Jackson underthrows him earlier in the game and. That could have been a 14-10 to 10 game. Instead, Minnesota goes down and scores. You really put a lot on Winston. When you come back from a three-interception game at home and play against what you, like you correctly said, is a pretty good Giants defense, especially on the back end in a pass rush, I thought it was almost critical for Jameis to have a game like this because I think it, it could potentially get him over the hump and he's got four days to prove it <laughs> well and we talked so much last week uh, uh, that vikings game and i realized the defense wasn't good and they were beat up and they had guys you know, coming in on the lineup and brent grimes didn't play and we'll get into the defense a little bit but there are games Rick, where the offense has to win a game the quarterback has to win a game that's right and this this was one of those games where i felt like hey now the defense did a nice job on sunday but this was a game that i thought the offense went out and took it and uh, I think if, if the Giants, if there were still five minutes left in this game and the Giants went down and scored, I, I think Jameis would have let another drive. I just got the sense that he could move the ball, and I just felt it was a big day for Jameis Winston. I really felt like he took a step. Yeah, Dirk Cutter said after the game. What did you see from your young quarterback in that situation after the Giants had gone down at five for five? Yeah, Jameis did a great job. Jameis, uh, when Jameis plays like that, we'll be hard to beat. I mean, Jameis did a nice job tonight. And he's right. Although the second half, you know, the Bucks did not play that well on offense. They got stopped a couple of times. And, in fact, it took the last two possessions to put 10 points on the board and win the game. So they, they pushed it about as far as they could. Um, they, they were chasing that extra point that Folk missed. They weren't able to convert on a two-point 
conversion. Um, you know, you add up all the points that, that they either left off. There's about 12 of them, actually. And mm-hmm. this should have been a much easier win than what they what – they, so there's room for improvement, and yet you've got to rely on this quarterback. And I said it at the start of the season, and we'll see how far they can go. Um, but to me, Jameis in his third year has to be good enough to take this team from a nine-win team and whatever it takes, 9, 10, 11, 12, whatever number of wins, push them into the postseason. This is what he needs to do. And to do that, you got to play big in these situations. Remember a game last year, Tom, and he did some of this last year, but I remember uh, whether it was the, the Raiders game or the Rams game. I mean, there were a couple where he took them down and fell short, you know, got tackled at the five-yard line, um, you know, and, and didn't complete those drives. And so this was a big night for Jameis Winston and a huge night uh, for the Bucks to take this win and be 2-1 and one heading into Thursday night. Two and one heading into Thursday night. Short week coming up. The the Patriots come to town uh, on Thursday night. Um, and one of the things that the Bucks did well on Sunday is to help Jameis Winston. They they ran the football, and that's something they didn't do in Minnesota to the point where they completely abandoned it uh, early in that game. They ran the, they ran a ton early. I think six or seven of the first thirteen plays in the in the Minnesota game. And then they fell behind and got to a point where they couldn't afford to run anymore. But uh, but Jacquez Rogers actually had a pretty nice day running the football, really 16 carries for 83 yards. They ran as a team for over 100 yards, uh, almost five yards a carry. That'll work. That'll work, and that's oh, that's yeah. what allows Jameis Winston. And again, that's another thing when you look at Jameis. Oh, how bad he was against Minnesota. Yeah, he didn't play very well. He was there by himself. He I thought he was out there by himself because they couldn't run the football. Right, they got behind and they abandoned the run. They only had eight touches for running backs in that game. And 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 you know when I look at, uh, you know the rushing statistics, I, the thing that jumps out is they had explosive runs. You know runs of ten yards or more. Thirty-six yard run by Jacquez Rogers early in the game. Fourteen yard run by Charles Sims. And then you go to the passing game and you see explosives all over the place. Adam Humphreys with a thirty-eight yarder. Mike Evans thirty-one yards. Cameron Brait with a 35-yarder, Jacquez, or uh, I'm sorry, O.J. Howard, we haven't even talked about, streaking down you know, the sidelines like he did uh, against Clemson in the national championship game, got his first touchdown. That was 58 yards. All explosives, runs or passes, that, you know, when you hit those explosives, as soon as you hit one, your, your scoring percentages in that drive shoot up. And, uh, you know, we hit some big ones tonight. That, that always is going to help you. That's what this offense should look like. And mm-hmm. if it's able to do that, then you know they're going to be able to keep their defense in an in a, in a advantageous position because I felt like for most of the second half the defense was just sort of hanging on, waiting for the offense to get back in the game. Uh, I feel bad for Dalvin Cook and I feel bad for the Minnesota Vikings. Oh, and we talked about this a week ago about if you had to do it all over again, who would you have taken, Dalvin Cook or OJ Howard? And we've been OJ Howard guys, I think both of us all along. But Dalvin Cook, heck of a player, and and I've said. Look, come back to me in the year 2022, and we'll figure out who had the better uh, draft out of all this. But awful day Sunday. Dalvin Cook looks like he, he has torn his ACL, likely out for the season. Uh, he'll have an MRI done Monday, and they'll know a little bit more. But I'm guessing that that, that news is not going to be very good. On the other hand, O.J. Howard only targeted four times, but he caught two passes. He only has four catches for the year. But uh, the first touchdown of his career, a 58-yarder, as you just mentioned. I, I don't, I'm not quite aware that the Giants are aware that you're allowed to cover tight ends. <laughs> or the tight ends are eligible because yeah. O.J. Howard and Cam Brate went crazy on uh, on Sunday. But uh, 
but nice to see OG. I'm sure it's a big deal for him. And again, just oh, yeah. another weapon for Jameis. Yeah, and I, you know, when they, uh, even the last play that set up the, the game-winning touchdown or field goal um, in talking to Cam Bray, you know, you really don't have many options. You cover those guys with a safety, you know, you're talking about O.J. Howard is 6'6", I think, Cam Bray's 6'5". Um, they can run almost like receivers, uh, you know, four, well, not Cam, but certainly O.J. can. And because O.J. stays in the game and is big, a big part of their run game, um, they, you could tell they schemed that one up. I mean, that was one of those full play action fakes, you know, hard run fake after they've been running the ball outside and then Jameis bootlegging out of it. And frankly, the linebacker got sucked. You know, he took the cheese and I mean, OJ Howard could not have been more open and, you know, good for Jameis Winston to just kind of feather it out there and let him wait for it. Uh, and then, and then, you know, there was no way they were going to catch him. So I think you'll see. Those tight ends have huge years. I mean, Braid already has a couple of touchdowns, and you know it's just going to get better and better because OJ still he dropped the pass, you know, in traffic. I mean, I would still... have bet you a thousand dollars he was going to drop that pass, and for no re- <laughs> other reason than he was so wide open. So open, yeah. Those <laughs> are like, the top gonna, ones. This somehow's going to get screwed up in some way, but but yeah. you're right. He had a he had a uh, terrific. And he blocks well. Uh, just a terrific uh, terrific game all around. Rick defensively. And this was the area that I think the Bucks were really concerned going into this game because no Kwan Alexander and no Levante David. And you mentioned that you're going to miss both of those guys, but particularly Levante David, who is someone who, who wears the, the head, the earpiece, communicates to the rest of the team. I thought, I thought this could, was going to be a rough day defensively without those two guys. And I'll be honest, I, I didn't really notice that big of a drop-off. I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to play a lot like that, yeah. but I thought they, those guys did okay. Well, I mean, when you take the two guys that have led the team in tackles the last six years, one or the other one has, um, and the other one's finished second when they didn't, it's a, big, it's a big deal. But consider that, I mean, look, we just keep talking about this guy, and it really is hard to do. But Kendall Beckwith, uh, you know, Tori is ACL. We talked about torn ACLs with Dalvin Cook. He did it last November 19th uh, against the Florida Gators for LSU. And, you know, he wasn't able to participate in OTAs, makes it back in eight months to training camp, has to learn two positions because he's going to be their Sam linebacker, strong side linebacker, also is backing up Quan at Mike. Quan goes out. This guy's come in and played. And today they gave him the green dot on the helmet, the helmet communicator with Mike Smith. And he's matching wits with uh, Eli Manning at the line of scrimmage. He has nine tackles. He leads the team in tackles. The Giants, who have not been a good running team, didn't run the ball that well today, just 3.3 yards per carry, and did a fairly credible job, um, to say the very least, him and the other uh, young linebackers. So it's not often you lose. I would say you lost two of your three best defensive players You know that weren't on the field today. And for them to, uh, you know, at the linebacker position, not really have – I'm sure he made mistakes, but to not really see the impact negatively and actually make plays like they did, I think is phenomenal. You said they were missing two of their three best defensive players. Their best defensive player was on the field today and was dominant. Gerald McCoy, I thought, yeah. had a dominating performance. He only had four tackles, but I think three of them were for losses. But, Rick, he – and he made such an impact early in the game that I think – for the rest of the day, the Giants called plays and ran their offense saying, we have to account for number 93. No matter what we do from now on, we have to account for him. I think he created, wreaked havoc on them to the point where I think he disrupted their game plan. And I really think he, he had a special game. 
And yeah, they started. It surprised me because when, when you and I walked out of the locker room last week in Minnesota, I thought this guy's not going to be healthy oh. for weeks. Yeah, and I watched him struggle to practice this week. Let me tell you, that ankle is not really feeling very good. It was barking at him all week. I don't know how he's going to get ready to play in, in, in three or four days or four days to play uh, the New England Patriots. But you're right. I mean, from the first play, uh, they could not they could not block him. And they had to, you know, like most teams, commit a lot of resources. And then, you know, the Giants did what they've had to do, which is throw the ball quick, you know, and that doesn't allow much to develop down the field. They took some shots. Boy, I thought getting Brent Grimes back, I thought he played tremendous today against uh, – Odell Beckham, um, you know, he, they, even Hargraves. You can see the difference when, you know, when you have someone like him in the game. Hargraves seems to play more aggressive. Um, they were just more aggressive as a secondary, and even though those guys made some plays, um, there wasn't, you know, the big shots that, uh, that cost you games. They tackled well. So it all kind of fit together, but it does start with 93. I mean, 93 is a monster in this league, and, and all you have to do is – talk to some of the other players on the other sideline or the coaches, and they can tell you, you know, what makes the Bucks defense uh, difficult. You mentioned Odell Beckham Jr., and he did have a nice game, Rick. Uh, he caught seven passes for 90 yards, but they targeted him 15 times, so he caught yeah. less than the, half the balls that were thrown in his direction. Some of them were pretty hot passes from from Eli, and, and he didn't have much of a chance to catch them. But I didn't think the coverage – was that bad? He had one. I think he had one sort of splash play, he yeah. like a a forty-two yarder down the middle of the field. He's going to do that. He's going to do that against every team. But they went a couple of other big shots for him, and really he was. Hargraves had him pretty well covered on an, on one pass down the sidelines early in the game where they took a took a shot. I, I thought overall they they did a pretty good uh, pretty good job against Odell Beckham Jr. Let me get back to something, Rick. A potential, and I mentioned on the top of the podcast, a potential controversy here. And I, I'm not trying to make a mountain out of a molehill, but is do we need to keep an eye on this Jameis Winston slash Deshaun Jackson chemistry, getting him the ball? Uh, because Deshaun Jackson showed some some frustration on the sidelines. It maybe it's something that happens in every stadium in the country with every wide receiver at one time or another, or is this something that that needs a little bit uh, to paying attention to? Well, Dirk Cutter says they're paying attention to it. Uh, no, and, and rightfully so. Deshaun, Deshaun should be frustrated because Deshaun's an, an elite player in this league, and we didn't get him the ball. I mean, we, we tried to get it to him, and, you know, we talk about how uh, Jameis and Cam were clicking, Jameis and Adam were clicking, Jameis and Mike are always clicking. We got OJ on track. We, we couldn't get Deshaun. We couldn't get it to him, you know, other than a couple of short ones. I mean, we tried. You know, we tried to go to him and, uh, you know, we just flat out missed him a couple times or didn't see him a couple times. So, uh, you know, Deshaun has every right to be frustrated and uh, we, we have to get him involved more because he's a he's a dynamic playmaker. He ain't clicking with Deshaun. In fact, I think the speed that Deshaun has, we saw several balls where Deshaun was open, even in the two point conversion where he got frustrated. The ball's just behind him. I mean, he's not throwing it out in front of him. And then when he does throw it out in front of him, when Deshaun has his guy beat for a touchdown, it's too far out in front of him. It's over his head. And and so, you know, that was the case in Minnesota. He underthrew him. It turned out to be an interception instead of a touchdown. And what Dirk Cutter said is, look, Deshaun Jackson is a dynamic playmaker in this league. And they brought him here. He didn't mention the salary. But, look, they're paying him $30.5 million the next three years. You damn well better find a way to use this guy 
he's influencing the game because you can see that other guys are getting single covered all over the field. But at some point, Jameis Winston, it's really on Dirk Cutter. It's on Jameis Winston. It's on the offense to get Deshaun Jackson the football in space and let him start making some of these plays because he averages 17.7 yards every time he touches the football. I don't think it's unusual. I, I'm not totally shocked by this, Rick. I mean, they've played two games together. We can count the preseason, right. but the preseason, sure. you're playing you know, just a handful of series here and there. Three now. I think but... it's, yeah, right. Well, that's yeah. right. Three games. Um, and there have been times where you're right that Deshaun Jackson has today, uh, Sunday was an example. He was wide open, he blew by everybody. It looked like he was covered. And then you look at the replay and say, no, he was open. And yeah. Jameis, as you just mentioned, threw the ball about 10 yards over. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I still think he's adjusting to Deshaun's speed. I still think he's adjusting to how how cornerbacks adjust to Deshaun. I think, I think it's going to take a couple of weeks. I just I hope Deshaun Jackson doesn't get so frustrated with Jameis that that it somehow becomes a an issue. I don't think it will quite yet. I, and I don't have a problem, quite honestly, with Deshaun Jackson showing a little frustration on the sidelines. You know, people are making a big deal. Antonio Brown um, making, you know, sort of acting like a diva on the sidelines. I'm okay with wide receivers wanting a football now and then. Now, if you if you want the football to the to the point where you don't care if your guy you're winning or losing, and all you care about your your eight or nine catches and your 100 yards, then it's an issue. But Wanting to football in big moments, I, I don't have a problem with that. Well, receivers, they have to rely on everything to go right just to get it, and it's up to the, you know, for them to win. If they win on the route, they expect to get it and see it. And if you're Deshaun Jackson, I mean, I know Deshaun a little bit. This is his 10th season. He was probably worse to deal with maybe coming out of Cal or in his early years in Philadelphia. Um, but he wants to win, and I think great players – want to be the reason you win. They want to help you win. I mean, this was a struggle tonight. I feel like Deshaun probably thinks that, you know, hey, man, if you can give me the ball, I can I can get to the end zone. You know, I can, I can make explosive plays, and it's just not happening right now, and he's going to have to be patient. But it's on, the, it's on the play caller. It's on the play caller. It's on the quarterback. It's on everybody to understand what this guy brings and to take advantage of it because that's why they brought him in here. They didn't bring him in here to run – decoy you know uh, nine routes down the middle of the field so that everybody else can get open i mean he'll do some of that but he's also you got to reward him too and, and um i guess the good news is they're two and one and he hasn't really he's got one touchdown in a loss to minnesota but he hasn't really gotten started yet i think you just you just hit on something there rick they're two and one right now and again it's easy to overreact to everything after the first game i thought they were on their way to make winning the nfc south to make it a playoffs then they lose to the vikings and i thought oh geez they might go Oof. seven and nine getters and then they win today now hey, everything's great again but here's here's what i liked about sunday's game if you're a bucks fan neither team turned the football over i thought the other team's quarterback played pretty well the other team Overall, I thought played pretty played decent. Pretty well, yeah. 
and and the Bucks still won the game. And I and I realize that the Giants are zero and four now. I think they're better than an zero and four team. Yeah, they are. And I looked at both teams went out there and played pretty much as as well as they can, or you know, pretty much played good football. And the Bucks won and should have won easily. They needed a field goal late only because their kicker missed a bunch of other kicks and they couldn't con- convert on a, f- a first and goal from the one and a half yard line. And because I thought their play calling got a little bit weird down there, but overall they went up against another team that's similar. I think similar to them and they, and they beat them. I, I thought it was a, that was a nice solid victory really. Well, it was, and it was dramatic, maybe more so than it needed to be, but that's, right. you know, when you get to the end of three months from now, I don't know that anybody's going to look back at, at the game and say, you know, hey, they, they left 12 points on the board. You know, Nick Folk was bad. He had needed a last-second field goal to win. They should. That's, you know, what you talk about are, are those games that you lose. And they've lost these games many times before. And I think that's sort of the difference. You know, when Dirk Cutter started here last year and they were 1-3, and, and they could have been that again, um, you know, he said that there was something about the culture. There was something that just wasn't quite right about, um, you know, giving games away. Felt like that they were losing because of, of, the, of themselves, not, not necessarily anything the other team did. Well, I think you've seen the difference. I think that this year, at least, at least tonight, and in the, the game against Chicago when they took advantage of turnovers, they have found ways to, to win games even when everything hasn't gone right. Uh, and it didn't go right tonight. But that's the good news. If you're if you're the Bucks, you realize, hey, you know, we got a lot of improvement that we can make, and yet we're still beating teams in the National Football League. And really, all you have to do is look on the scores on Sunday, Tom, and you tell me who's gonna who's gonna win any single game because I can't figure it out. I mean, I I think any win in the NFL, you know, you have to celebrate and and be happy because. The guys on the other sidelines, man, they, you know, it's it's the crisis or carnival. If you win, you can win it all. Everything's possible. When you lose, you feel like, you know, this is the end of end of everything. So, for at least a few hours until Dirk Cutter, who said he was going right back to one buck tonight, and start preparing for the Patriots, you know, they can feel good about themselves and feel like everything's still possible. Yeah, you mentioned the NFL and how crazy it is, and and as the week goes on, we'll look back at some of the, the more interesting games. But ju- just to that point that you're making, where you sort of sort of feast or famine, the Atlanta Falcons go and they lose to Buffalo, which I never would have guessed in, in a million years that would happen, because I thought going into the weekend Atlanta's as good a team as I've seen in the NFC, and yet I saw somebody on Twitter, so I can't remember somebody I respect, who thought. Uh, that the Falcons should be one and three right now. He thought he thinks they're lucky to have, to have won three games, let alone you know. It's true. The, leading the division, they think he's, they should be one and three at this point. So you're exactly right. I look at this Bucks team, and as you mentioned, Jameis and Deshaun Jackson haven't figured it out yet. They really haven't worked OJ Howard into the offense quite yet. It, it, he's caught four passes in 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 three games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't run the football all that well. Uh, they've done okay. They're going to get Doug Martin back. We'll talk That's about huge. that in a moment. Yeah. But defensively, they're missing Quan Alexander and, Levante, uh, and David. Levante David on Sunday. A week ago, they missed Brent Grimes. Joe McCoy's been beat up. And yet after all of this, their uh-huh. kicker went soft for half a game. <laughs> and, and, they're, and they're still 2-1. and well, one. You're, How about yeah. this? They're sitting here uh, after three games, and they have Uno sacks in three games. Wow. This team has one quarterback sack. Now, you know, they add up the wins, not the sacks at the end of the year, right? 
But mm-hmm. that tells you something. I mean, they're not exactly humming on all cylinders here on defense, and yet they're hanging in there. They're playing the run pretty well. They've been pretty good on third down. And uh, at least tonight, they played closer than they did against Chicago. They also didn't manage to get any turnovers, which is another thing that they've just absolutely feasted on. So you're right. There's a lot of room for improvement on both sides of the ball. They're going to get guys back. They still could lose other players. Mike Evans, I think I'd be concerned with, even though he said he had a stinger. It looked like his shoulder uh, really was bothering him after the game, and he he took a shot late in the game on that. So they're going to need guys to stay healthy. But, um, you know, this is this is a long season, and uh, you just got to kind of grind your way through these these wins. I don't think it's that big a deal because Jameis Winston played the last couple of drives and he threw some nice passes. But keep an eye on that shoulder a little bit. He was taped up after the game. You mentioned it during the game. He took a pretty Jameis, good shot. Yeah, Jameis Winston, yeah. Landed on his shoulder a little I bit. I saw him land on his shoulder after he, he got buried one time. And, you know, I guess it didn't affect him, at least on the last drive. But then again, yeah. you know, these shoulder sprains and things like that, you got adrenaline pumping through you. That guy's not going to come out of the games. He took some hits tonight. Yeah. And, you know, the offensive line, for the most part, has done a decent job. Jameis has done a good job of throwing the ball away and trying to protect himself. But, you know, you can't afford to lose your franchise quarterback, to say the very least. And sometimes, you know, he was in harm's way tonight. And you're right. We'll have to see, uh, you know, if uh, if there's anything to that to that hit he took on his shoulder. You mentioned, Rick, uh, as we were, we were sitting here in the press box at, uh, at Raymond James after Sunday night's game, uh, just that I'm guessing at this very moment, Dirk Cutter is back over at One Buck Place. He's in his office getting ready for the New England Patriots. I saw a couple of things on Twitter and just some basic reaction. Like, oh, this is worst case scenario for the Tampa Bay Bucks. The, the Patriots are an angry football team coming in. Look, they're not going to be any more motivated had they won <laughs> on Sunday. I actually think it's good news for the Bucks that the Patriots lost because to me, the Patriots don't look like the Patriots at all. Well, their defense doesn't. I mean, let's start there. You know, they their front seven is not played the way uh, you're used to seeing uh, Bill Belichick team play. They're giving up a ton of points. Um, offensively, they're a handful. You know, uh, yeah, Tom Brady. Tom Brady this year without Julian Edelman has actually uh, taken advantage of some of the speed they have at receiver, and they're thro- he's throwing the ball down the field. Now, you know, the bad news for him is that he's taken some hits as a result of it. The good news is he went into the game, I think, averaging over ten yards an attempt, which is just phenomenal. Um, so, you know, their their offense is going to be great. You would expect they're going to score, you know, I mean, if you could hold them to 24, you'd feel pretty good about things. You won't, you know, hope they don't put 30-something on you. Um, but defensively, this is a Patriots team that you can move the ball on. There's no question about that. And I would think that the Bucs um, would be successful in doing that. And I would also think that getting Doug Martin back, depending on what kind of shape he's in, he's going to give him an emotional lift when he walks in the building. He's not going to get to practice, hasn't played in five weeks but having said all that, running the football against the New England Patriots would be a great thing to do. Well, I used to think about Doug Martin and running the football. I don't have a problem if the running back doesn't have a ton of work on him going into even the week fresh four, legs, week babe. five. He's got fresh legs. He's got fresh legs. He knows where to run. I think sure? it's not, it doesn't need time. It's not like a timing issue like it is with other like wide receivers or tight I think you them. need carries. I mean, I think you do, you know, need to get bounced around a few times, but he did play in the preseason. It's just been a long time since he's been, you know, had any contact. So he's got to get that out of him. But what? After a couple carries, it's football. Man's been doing it since he was 10 years old. 
Yeah, no, I think it's going to be a big lift. And I actually think the Bucs are going to have a good game Thursday night against New England. We'll get you What an atmosphere that. that could be. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, tonight absolutely. was interesting, you know, with the number. There's a number of Giants fans, yeah, to say were. the least. But the building was full uh, down a stretch when on defense when the Bucs fans needed to be loud. They were. And can you remember, you know, a 2-1 and one Bucks team playing the defending world champions on national TV on Thursday night? This place could be lit. I mean, it's been a while since there's been a primetime game where it means that much to the Bucks, and then they're playing such a quality team in New England, which is suddenly now not leading the AFC East. They're behind what, the Jets. What the hell? They're with the Jets. Is that, <laughs> they're is that possible? The they're yeah. tied with the Jets. The yeah. Bills are yeah. in first yeah. place. Yeah. <laughs> That's Josh right. McCown. Meantime, I'm on the bandwagon. I'm officially back on the bandwagon. I, ju- I, I taped up my ankle. From jumping off the Bucks bang, bang, I'm back on. Jameis is the greatest. Dirk's the greatest. Everybody, I love everything. But now, I, I, I thought Sunday was a nice win. Sunday was a very nice win, and I, yeah. I think it'll, I think it'll have effects moving forward because of the way Jameis played, because of the confidence he showed in Nick Folk, because of the way that the the defense stepped up with some injuries. I think yeah. all, everything was was a good sign for the Bucks. Number three is the whole deal. They started as the whole deal. He'll end the season as the whole deal. If they can keep him upright, keep him healthy, uh, and he continues to uh, to improve and not have you know fallbacks like he did at Minnesota, um, you know this is the reason that they drafted him number one. This is the reason they have hope. This is why Dirk Cutter is confident he can pay his mortgage for the next couple years, and Jason Light is hoping for a contract extension. It all rides on this guy's arm, and if that's too simple, I'm sorry, but we saw tonight a really uh, you know, young quarterback play huge against a two-time Super Bowl MVP uh, and match him and then win the game. So big night for Jameis Winston in the Bucs. You know, I'm, I'm going to knock on wood. I don't want anybody to blame me. I'll tell you the other thing I like about Jameis, and again, there's always going to be this comparison between him and Marcus Mariota. Mariota got hurt again on Sunday. He did. And and Jameis is durable. I mean, a guy takes shots. He takes it. Now, I realize injuries can be a freaky thing. You could. You got to be lucky. Yeah. But I. But, he, but you know, the fact that he, he keeps going back out there is a big deal. Look, Brett Favre wasn't lucky. Brett, you know, Brett, Brett Favre, I mean, you know, <laughs> all of a sudden I'm John Madden over here. But uh, but Favre never missed a snap, never missed a game. You got to be a tough guy. And Jameis is a, is a big, tough guy whose competitive nature is that, you know, it's going to take more than a few bruises. We've seen him take shots, and I'm sure yeah. he doesn't feel great. He's not going to give up the ball, though. Speaking of injuries to quarterbacks, before we wrap up the podcast, Rick, let's touch a little bit on what happened on Saturday, particularly in Gainesville with Luke Del Rio, quarterback for the Gators, goes down with a separated shoulder or or some sort of shoulder injury. He's going to be out for the year with surgery. That's really too bad because I actually think he gives Florida their best chance to win. Florida keeps winning football games. I don't know how they do it. They're going to keep winning football games. And I wouldn't be stunned. I don't think I think they're in trouble when they get to Georgia, the, the Florida Georgia game. Yeah. But other than that, boy, I mean, they and all of a sudden they got LSU coming to town, and uh, your boy Ed Orgeron. I'm not sure Ed Orgeron's going to make it. Boy, not going to losing to Troy is not good at all. Um, no, he's not going to make it. And the thing is, is that um, you know Del Rio had that shoulder uh, surgically repaired in the offseason. Same one lands on, and he's yeah. out for the year. Felipe Franks though came in and played really well. He do you gives, like that guy? Was, well, here's what I do like about him. He's got a big arm. Yeah, he and, does. And, and I tell you, you, you know, 
in college football, any level of football, you want the threat of being able to hit the big one. And and maybe it's only one a game. Maybe it's two a game. We saw him win with what amounted to a Hail Mary. He had another big shot that he made at the end of that game the other day to get some separation with Vanderbilt, who was playing really very well. Uh, so, you know, they got some work to do at Florida. I'm not sold on, on Jim McElwain's team just yet. But the SEC, you know, short of Georgia, short of Alabama, uh, I mean, most of those teams are god off. I guess Mississippi State's had a couple good wins. But for the most part, I, I'm not really sold on that conference to begin with. You know what I you know what I think could actually help Florida and help Franks is the fact that and I don't mean this in in any way that it's good that Del Rio got hurt but now move just moving forward you know okay Franks is going to be the guy That's he's right. not looking over his shoulder now they I guess, I suppose sure there's other guys on well, the bench yeah yeah they can bring the kid from the transfer Zaire, Zaire from, Zaire from, from Notre, Dame Notre Dame yeah but at the same time I really do think that they've settled now they can settle on Franks say okay you're the guy you're going to get the reps all week and you're our guy moving forward he's I think there's something to be said for not having to look over your shoulder and wondering if Luke Del Rio is throwing a football over there because you haven't converted the last two third downs. I I think maybe that could help Florida. And the look, they're way. running the ball really well. I mean, Florida the last you know three, four weeks have run the ball consistently, and that helps any young quarterback. If you can be physical up front like that and run the way they have, they're going to stay in games because you're going to keep your defense fresh and, and keep the score down. Florida State somehow pulled it out. Boy, they were uh, fortunate. I don't want to say they're fortunate to win. They deserve to win the game. They, they scored more points than Wake Forest did. But that, I, I'm not sure Wake Forest is all that great a team, to be honest. I, I think Florida State, when they get into, boy, the Clemsons and teams like that, I think they could be in trouble. Well, you know, the college football has become the NBA, right? You got the Cleveland Cavaliers and Golden State Warriors, and you got Alabama and you got Clemson. And everybody else is playing for third because – Ain't nobody going to beat those teams. I'll say it, said it from the start of the season. I'm going to say it until wherever the hell they show up for the national championship I thought championship Clemson game. might have trouble with Virginia Tech. They had oh, no trouble at in all. In Blacksburg, in that atmosphere that's just – Saturday you know, night. Saturday night. And Michael Vick's in the building and, you know, all the Hall of Famers or whatever from Virginia Tech. and Bruce no, Smith. They, yeah, together. I mean, everybody. So um, it was uh, – you know, it was it was impressive. Their quarterback is is impressive. Look what, by the way, look at what Deshaun Watson's doing oh for gosh. the Houston Texans. He huh? scored fifty seven points. I mean, and, and I didn't see that game, but I got to imagine he had a heck of a day. Well, when he, he had a nice day. Points. He had one interception that I know of that was in the red zone, but he had a really nice day. The other wait a minute, he I, threw an interception of, like so they could have had like sixty. They could have had more. And the 64? thing, you know, my boy is Bill O'Brien, right? I like Bill O'Brien. You I think he's Bill. a hell of I a love coach. Bill O'Brien too. The guy wins 10 games a year when he had no quarterback. But in all his infinite wisdom, Deshaun Watson did not start week one <laughs> for the Houston Texans. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, did you miss the evaluation on that. And that's the quarterback, though, when everybody's talking about, you know, guys coming out uh, uh, this year, this past year. I don't know how Watson wasn't everybody's first pick. I mean, I didn't see it coming. Goodness man. gracious! I got to be honest. Such a good I, player. I did not see it coming. I thought he's a product. After what of, you saw him do at Clemson? I know, I know. I watched. I was at the game. It was on this field. I'm looking at the field right now as we're doing last this two national contest. championships you went to, and he averaged 500 yards passing. I just, and on the biggest stage he could play in. I thought it, I, I I had a feeling like he was going to turn out to be like Danny Werfel. He's like it was almost oh, a Lord. Product. Of the system where guys are just open all over the place. It was like, you know, because when Florida, remember when Florida, when Spurrier was there, no matter what, I think I could have quarterbacked those teams 
And it just there were guys open all over the place, just running zigzags and open by 20 yards. And I thought that's what's going to happen to pros. He's going to be another RG3 where he's, he can run a lot, but he's going to, uh, when he gets to the pros, you can't do that. And boy, I was just, I it's three, it's a handful of games, not even. But I would, I, was, I, would I would take some stock in that kid right now. What about the kid Blackman from Florida State who's, by the way, weighs what, 120, are we saying, pounds? Maybe, That's yeah. the skinniest. That guy's got skinnier arms than I do, although he can throw it like a mile. He's but, another guy that made one play, right? Made one yeah. play, Jimbo Fisher. I, I would take a shot right there with a third one. <laughs> so he went downfield and he hit it. And uh, the kid, look, he's a, he's a true freshman, which means that, you know, he's all of 19. But um, Florida State has more problems than quarterback, quite frankly. You know, their defense has been all over the place. I Like you said, Wake Forest is not a great team, but they were undefeated. Their quarterback gave them fits running in, throwing the ball. So they haven't played great on defense. And the offensive line is horrible. I mean, yeah. I, with all due respect, Jimbo, get some offensive linemen somewhere in the state of Florida to come play for you, son, because those guys are going to get every quarterback you put back there killed. They, you, it might, don't matter who your quarterback is. This might be the first time in a while that Miami has a shot to beat Florida State. That's a big game coming up on Saturday. Uh, and like we'll get into that game as we get closer. In the meantime, USF, nice nice performance. They sort of they hung 60, they do what man. USF does, which kind of like kicked around for a little bit. They hung 60. I know it was well, – I like East Carolina. But they gave up 30. But you know what? When you hang 60, it doesn't matter. And, they, you know, what is it? Uh, they're one game away from tying – the NCAA streak of games with 30 or more points. I think they had 20, 24 times. Maybe I don't even know like who they have next, and I'm telling you they're going to get it. Because that conference Look, is... Look, how about this? How about, how about what UCF did to Memphis, who we thought was now this upstart team? The last game of the regular season, South Florida at UCF. Boy, that that's going to be quite the matchup. And, and I'm, if they're both undefeated, could, I'm looking forward to that. You could make a case that. that the UCF-USF game will be a bigger game than Florida-Florida State. In the oh, this year, for sure. Of things. Yeah, maybe even scheme. And neither coach may be back next year. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> <laughs> there'll, there'll be enough SEC jobs that Charlie Strong's phone will be ringing. And I can guarantee you Scott Frost is done. Oh, He'll yeah. be headed to Nebraska if Riley doesn't get things straightened out up there. Absolutely. Uh, one last thing, Rick, before we go on this podcast, the Tampa Bay Rays wrap up their season, 80 and 82. Blake Snell pitches lights out. You know what this reminds me of? I don't know if, I don't know how much golf you play. I play, I play, I'm one of those guys that plays like three times a year, two times a year. And I'm awful. I'm not very good at it. And I'll go out and I'll play out. And then on the 18th hole, I might, I might birdie or par the 18th hole. I had this great, you it, back, right? it's, it always gets you back. And that's Blake Snell goes out on Sunday, sets down like the first 12 in a row, struck out, I think, 13 or something like that. For the, showed you what Blake's – and over the last – really, the last four or five starts. Oh, he's uh, been good longer than he's that. He's been pretty I good, think, except for the, like, the next I think he's like 5-1 and one with his yeah. ERA is somewhere in the twos. Um, the last outing was a, just a train wreck. But, yeah, it's good for him to come back. I don't know. You know, I think what Blake Snell learned is that you have to show up in February – sort of ready to work and kind of ready to pitch yeah. and be serious and that you just don't go out there and go through the motions apparently and I'm just judging this based on what what I read from Mark Tompkin what I what I hear on the radio is that um, you know his workouts between starts became much more serious mm-hmm. he became much more confident he got sent down twice um, right. so that that's got to be a humbling experience 
So, you know, you hope that the guy has had to grow up at the major league level, and you hope that he comes back and starts the year in, in spring training that way. Rick, you you played – you were a very good high school player because you played Division One college baseball as well. I'm sure you've been around pitchers in your life that just got by on – up until they're 22, 23 years old, they oh, just yeah. got by on stuff. They show up 10 minutes before the game, warm up, boom, go out there and strike out 15. We used to say, shake their hand, they're loose. You know, they didn't even have to go in a bullpen for very long. Say, did you throw? Yeah, I'm good. You know, it's like, wait a minute. You yeah. know, and, and I – I mean, one of my best friends was like that until he, you know, all through almost when he got to college. But there are guys, and, and you know, at the major league level, man, those mistakes end up 450 feet away. Well, they and all can hit 97 mile an hour. Yeah, and it doesn't matter how fast you throw. And the thing about Blake is, is that he's got just four, you know, plus pitches. I mean, this isn't a guy with just a plus fastball or a plus slider. He can throw four pitches, and when he throws them for strikes, but everything works off that fastball. He just needed to, to get into a routine and a rhythm and, and become more of a professional. And I think that maybe the second half of the season did that for him. And if it did, he, I mean, Jim Hickey has said he has as good a stuff as David Price and those guys have had. You know, that's how elite he is. I'd like to see Chris Archer get some of that, you know, because we know he has good stuff, but he hasn't been able to put it together. And I don't know where they're going to go. There's going to be a lot of changes over there. Uh, Rick, the they, and that's uh, this this whole analogy I made about ending the season, playing golf, and and leaving on a good note. You look at it, you say eighty wins. Oh, they're not that far away. If they could have just fixed this up a little bit here, and they could have won a couple of games here, they might have won eighty six, eighty seven games, been in line for a playoffs. I still think eighty wins. It still felt like they're miles away from a playoff spot. Well, this was their opportunity because, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the five teams in the American League that had a winning record, not 500, but a winning record, all made the playoffs. Hmm. I mean, essentially, you didn't have to be great this year. You just had to be average. And, you know, for all the years to be average and not make it, that's that's who the Rays were. So it really was a couple games difference between them and maybe getting in the postseason. But it's pretty clear that uh, Stuart Sternberg and those guys are going to dump the payroll even further. They've got some tough decisions. I'm I'm really interested to see what happens to Evan Longoria because he'll be a 10-5 and five guy if he starts yeah. the season and where he's untradeable. If you're going to do it, now's the time. So if you're going to do it and, and, and if you're going to go young and it seems to me they're going to have to turn to their minor leagues and actually replenish that with some veterans and some guys that they may have to trade, like whether it's Jake Odorizzi, hell, even if it's Chris Archer, I'm not sure what they're going to do, but – this is going to be, you know, sort of a, a beat em up transition type year. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about Kevin Cash, but then I look at his club and I go, yeah, man, I don't know that 80 games is, he could have done a whole lot better. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think ultimately when it comes down to Kevin Cash or any manager in baseball, you kind of, you have a gut feeling either you know or you don't know. And I think it's too, it's, it's probably not unfair to, to say he shouldn't come back another year, but I'm sure there are people out there who feel like, eh. He's not quite the guy. I'm starting. I'm starting to come around on him a little bit. Um, we'll see. And uh, apparently, Alex Cobb got very emotional on Friday oh, at the Rays luncheon. Yeah, he choked up a little bit. So it's pretty apparent that he's not. I think that's the thing about the Rays now. If you're if you're a good player and you make it to free agency, it's not even really a discussion. I mean, that's that's the the weird thing. If you're a Rays yeah, fan, yeah. it's like, well, hey, enjoy. You know what? Good luck to you. <laughs> Here's a. You know, do you want some extra? I don't know, jerseys or helmets or anything for your kids? Yeah. Like, you know. Pat him on the back and say, hey, man, good luck to you. I mean, that's that's a horrible position to be in as a franchise, but that's who the Rays are. 
Well, and you wonder too when Evan Longoria sees another guy walk out the door if he would be perfectly okay if they came to him even after the ten and five. I've always said that I would think that he would want to go someplace and and experience Major League Baseball where people actually come to the games. And well, and he's he's been outspoken about it. He, he complains about the raises. fans. He, com- he complains about the payroll, which I don't blame him. But. Well, let me ask you this, and we have this discussion some other day too, a little more in depth. But does he want to go somewhere else? No. Does he want to be? You know, is he happy being the big fish in this small pond? Is yeah. he content enough just to play out his $100 million contract because he's seen guys go other places and the pressure gets higher and the, maybe the grass isn't greener? So well, he's seen be it not work out for other guys. He's, he has, didn't work out for Carl Crawford. And at this stage in his career, work out for James one Schultz. more year, he can decide whether he ever wants to be traded or not or where to. Keep it here all week. This is a huge week in Tampa Bay sports. We got the uh, maybe the greatest coach quarterback in the history of NFL coming to town on Thursday night. We have the uh, baseball playoffs start up on Tuesday. And then the NHL season, believe it or not, for the Tampa Bay Lightning starts up on Friday as the Lightning open their uh, 25th season in the National Hockey And you're going to be at all of it, including I'll be at all that. And the also Florida be at, LSU in game. Gainesville next weekend. We got Florida State, Miami. Man. Yeah, so I'm gonna have big, to stay up to you know we're gonna get <laughs> really early just to do these podcasts. Well, so we're gonna we do the podcast you. from here Thursday, like like tonight we're we're, t- yeah. we're recording this. I don't know when you guys are listening to us, but it's recording be early this. in the morning. We're do in it the live. press box at Raymond James. We're gonna do it from the press box Thursday night from Raymond right. James after the uh, Patriots and the Bucks. But we'll and get we'll you be ready here with Tom Brady. I'll be just hawking on the field at. No, well, who knows? I'm looking maybe for Giselle. Maybe we get Giselle on a podcast. <laughs> That's what uh, I want. Anyway, our thanks to Steve Verstick. You can follow us on Twitter. Rick Tom Podcast is our Twitter handle, at NFL Stroud and at Tom W. Jones. Keep it here all week. Big week in Tampa Bay sports. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.